0: How many of y'all know what a nocium is? Anybody here know what a nocium is? All right. How many of you are immune to noceums? They just don't even mess with you. And JJ, don't raise your hand wherever he's at. But um uh man. I, I, I mean, when have you ever been in a pack of noceums? What are you thinking about when you're in a pack of noceums? Wow. The pack of noceums, yes. And, and in fact, if you don't know this experience, we can hook you up tomorrow morning before the sun comes up. Uh, it's a little windy right now, so we could take you back over here in the mosquito compounds. Go down A1A, and anywhere you see the little yellow gates, just park and walk back there. And when it's nice and still and the sun's getting ready to come up or just setting, man, you can experience for yourself what it's like to be breathing in noceums through your nostrils, your eyeballs, your ears. You didn't even know you could breathe through these things, did you? But you can with noceums. And so I remember when I was a kid, um, we used to go to New Smyrna a lot, and um, there were we'd always rent a beach house at New Smyrna, and they had those jealousy windows. You guys remember jealousy windows? Yeah. How do you say that jealousy? Jealousy. jealousy? jealousy. It was a company in Orlando that had this great yeah. idea back in the 50s and 60s that they would take these little like uh, pieces of glass and they would just make them so that you could open them all and close them. But man, no seams got in, mosquitoes got in. It wasn't a beach house vacation without getting eaten alive by no see That was just part of it. Man, you'd wrap yourself in wool blankets, whatever you had to do. But um, I can remember as a kid getting bit by no seams and just having welts all over my body. Anybody get welts? Still from Noceums? Uh, JJ? Yeah, JJ is a Noceum magnet, man. And JJ gets welts no matter what uh, in all of that. But I used to get welts. And I would even just look at them, I would get welts. And then as I got to be a teenager, I've realized that when I got those welts, if I didn't scratch them, they would go away. You know, and uh, uh, that's pretty hard to get like a big itchy bump and not scratch it. Right. But let alone hundreds of itchy bumps and not scratch them. And so I started realizing that if I didn't scratch it, man, I'd be okay, And it would eventually go away. And at first it would take about a half hour for it to go away. Then I got in my 20s and I'm in St. Augustine and guess what? They had no seams. We played base. I played baseball there. And out uh, on US1, behind the Kmart, in the swamp, there was a baseball field. And that's where we would lay down and do our stretches and calisthenics, everything getting ready. And we'd be just getting eaten alive by no and And they would even get up under your clothes and all of that stuff. And I realized if I didn't scratch, they'd go away. And now what I realized is that it only took about not a half hour to get rid of the bumps, but about 15 minutes. It was like, OK, if I didn't scratch for 15 minutes, I'm good. And then I got a little older in my 40s in New Smyrna, and I'm surfing, and on those glassy west wind days, I get bit up by no CMs again, but I wanna go fishing, I wanna go surfing, so I'm putting up with it, and I realized it only started taking about five minutes to get rid of the bumps, and it didn't itch anymore, and if I just didn't pay attention to it, I started developing a resistance, and the noctiems didn't affect me as much. Now that I'm 54 years old, and I've been exposed to noctiems my whole life, I can't tell you they don't bother us in the parking lot early in the morning. They're bothering us, but I don't even really get bumps anymore from noctiems. They bite me. I know they're biting me. I know they're on me, but I don't even get the red bumps anymore. And, and really, it's just a matter of them just biting. There's, it doesn't even affect me anymore, other than the, the pain that it is of them just biting and being obnoxious and always being around you. And when you get in the water, by the way, no seams can't swim. Did y'all know that? That's the escape, all right? Yeah, no seams can't swim. But virtually, li- literally, I'm, I, I have almost no, no effect by no seams, other than the fact that they're a pest that's swarming around me. But I don't get welts anymore. I've developed a resistance. And today, when we look at how the people respond to the Apostle Peter's message, what you're going to see is it's like somebody who's never been bit by a gnosium before, and the Holy Spirit coming upon them, bringing conviction in their life, is going to be like a swarm of noxiums on steroids. <laughs> it's, it's it's something that's just evident and it's there. anybody ever been stung by a bee before? Yeah, does that get your attention? You know, a, a, a scorpion? Anybody got a Florida scorpion before? Dude, those are pretty cool. And they get your attention. <laughs> they don't kill you, but they get your attention. There's all kinds of things like that. And that's how the Holy Spirit uh, is, is is described in how they react to his prompting and the conviction that they have. Now, where we were we at last week is we looked at the three main points of Peter's message. And Peter said this. He said, man, you guys... Uh, You guys witnessed his power. There was no doubt about it, man. You saw him feed people. You saw him heal people. You saw him cast out demons. You saw him just do all kinds of miracles. You witnessed his power. And you were part of his plan, whether you wanted to be or not. You were part of, part of crucifying him was God's plan because that was what was going to happen. And so in God's sovereignty, everything happened for a purpose in all of this. And God's so awesome and big that you were part of his plan whether you wanted to be or not. So we learned that we witnessed his power. We were part of his plan. But the biggest thing that Peter showed him last week is that Jesus' resurrection proved that Jesus was more than just a man. His resurrection proved he was more than a man. So here these people are now dealing with this. And like a pack of gnostiums on them, like a Florida scorpion, like a bee sting, the Holy Spirit is literally hitting them. Verse 37. Take a look with me at what this says. It says now when they heard this, what Peter just preached, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Another way to describe that in the Greek is that they were stung. (laughs) They were stung. They were just overtaken. There was something that came over them that they could not deny. They couldn't shake it off. It was there and they had to deal with it. And that was the Holy Spirit. Now, I pray that for me and for you, that when the Holy Spirit stings us, when the Holy Spirit overcomes us, that we do not get so good at putting it out of our mind and rejecting the Holy Spirit, that you develop an immunity to the Holy Spirit the way I've developed an immunity to no seums. Because you know you can do that. Do you know that when the Holy Spirit comes and brings conviction, the Holy Spirit says, man, don't do that. And you make every excuse in the world. You hang out with people that do you don't even work. You just kind of basically try to blow off what the Holy Spirit of God showing you. You develop an immunity to the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit can be bringing conviction. and You don't even get it anymore. I pray to God that none of us ever get in that position where we've blown off the Holy Spirit of God so much that it doesn't affect us. These folks, man, they were not there. The Holy Spirit of God was affecting them in a big way. So again, here they are now responding to Peter's message like, all right, man, I, I witnessed God's power. I was part of his plan. I know your resurrection, Jesus. It proves you're more than a man. And so he goes on and says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what do we do? So the second part of this we're looking at today is when you're cut to the heart, what do you do? Do you ignore it when you got a pack of no seams? I just ignore them. mind over matter, mind over matter. It's going to go away. Is that how you treat the Holy Spirit of God? Is that how you treat when God's prompting you to either do something or don't do something? No, when you're cut, when I'm cut to the heart, uh, man, I want to get on that path that, that that leads me to him. That's what I want to do. So let's take a look. It says he said, so they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter, what do we do? When somebody comes to the point where they know that there's a penalty for sin, when somebody comes to a point where they know God is speaking to them, they have a decision to make, what do you do? What do you do with that? And there's a lot of people do a lot of things. Some people just do a lot of good things to try to get it out and make their own religion and make their own deal with God and and try to figure out their own way to deal with things. But that's not what God wants. What God wants us to do is God wants us to repent. Check this out. Ethan, look at the next part. Here's what Peter says. They were saying, man, I'm cut to the heart. What do I do, man? What do I do? I got to get on the path that brings me to you. What do I when I come cut to the heart? What do I do? I turned onto the path that brings me to you. Peter said to them, "Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ." And it goes on. But look at the very first part. He says, "Repent, man, repent." What does that word "repent" mean? It's such an ugly word. How many of y'all think it's kind of a? It, it's like, oh, that's a churchy, religious kind of beat me over the head with a sledgehammer word. Was, if I said, repent, and I'm spitting all over you, repent, repent. Like, how many of y'all have that connotation? Sorry, bro. I didn't get, to get that. What, what do you take from that word? How many of y'all really say, you know what? I'd rather not hear that word repent. I don't like that word repent. It's just, man, I've had it spit at me millions of times. I don't want that context. Man, repent is such a beautiful word. That's what I want to show you today. It's not a bad word. It's not a a, a nasty thing. It's not somebody beating you over the head with a sledgehammer. It's this. It means to simply turn. And what it means to do is to turn to God. Now, let's pretend going away from the beach over here is, is the path to hell. Let's pretend it's the path to destruction. It's the path to an unsuccessful life. It's path to not having peace, love, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness. But this path over here is the path to God. And God has promises we're full with the Spirit, we're going to be full of love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness. We're not going to escape storms. He's just going to give us seaworthy vessels to ride them out in. And so the path to God is the path to peace. How many of you all have felt that? You know that, you've experienced that. You know that when you're petted towards God, it works out. It doesn't mean your circumstances are any better. It's just that now you can see it from God's perspective and it's all good because, you know, he's in control and, you know, he loves you. And the way to go is in this path towards God. So it's a one. It's a path that way towards destruction, doing it our own way this way towards God and towards heaven. Now, we don't work our way to heaven. We'll talk more about that, but we are either on a on a direction heading towards God or away from God. There's no in-between. There might be some little cul-de-sacs where you crawl out and you kind of hang out in the cul-de-sac for a while and waste a bunch of time. And, you know, you've all been there before. And then you get back on the path and you start heading back towards God. So you're either heading towards God or you're heading away from him. And so here's what Peter's saying to these people. Repent. What it means is you are heading away from God. These are people that are freaking out because they realize because of the resurrection, Jesus is Lord. And here, check this out one they missed the messiah their whole life all the generations of israel have been waiting for their savior to come and now the holy spirit has stung them in the heart and said that was the messiah that jesus is lord jesus is the savior you've been waiting on so they missed what they've been waiting for it's like you waiting for remember the space shuttle launches you guys remember the space shuttle launches? how many of y'all were around here when they had space shuttle launches yeah dude how about apollo launches yeah, Tom, those things rock. Those were pretty bad. But you'd be waiting for it. You ever wait for a space shuttle launch or a meteor shower or something? You're waiting, you're waiting, and all of a sudden it happens and you miss it. Because you had to go to the bathroom, right? <laughs> yeah. These people missed the Messiah. They just didn't get it. But at this point, when the Holy Spirit has stung their heart, they realize, man, that was him. And I missed it. Oh, my goodness. That's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I missed the Messiah. But you know what else they realize? Dude, I not only missed him, but I helped kill him. Woo! Could you imagine when that hits you that you helped kill the Messiah? You helped kill God, the Savior. And it was part of his plan, but nevertheless, you're guilty because it was your choice to do that. And then third, here's why they're really freaking, because uh, Peter just preached to them a bunch of stuff out of Psalms, how the Messiah is going to take his enemies and he's going to basically destroy his enemies. What greater enemy could there be than the one who kills the Messiah and puts him away? So where they're seeing themselves right now as the biggest enemies that they could ever be to God. And God is big enough They have that conviction. Like, what do we do? We killed the Messiah. We missed the Messiah. We killed the Messiah. And the scripture says he's going to destroy his enemies and I'm his enemy. So what do you do in that? Peter said, you repent. They are headed down the wrong way We missed him. We killed him. He's going to put his wrath on us, and we're going to be in hell. We're going to have destruction. We're going to be messed up. What do we do? And so the idea of repent is, Peter said, it's simple. Just turn around and walk back to God. Turn around and walk back to him. You're walking the wrong direction, and whether you're a believer or or, or, or and you need a whether you're a believer and you've been saved and you're going the wrong direction or you're you're not saved you've never given your life to Christ repentance is the same thing it's turning away from what offends God turning away from what causes destruction in our life turning away from the things that God hates and turning towards Him and when you turn towards God Kathy He's down there and and is God sitting there like this. Huh. What do you think you're doing? Is he like your dad when you came home late past your curfew? You know? Is he down there, I told you so. Is he down there, you know, know, ready to tackle? You know, what's he like, Kathy? Dude, God, no matter what condition you are in, God is down here at the end of this path like this waiting for you. You're either headed towards him or away from him. That's the point in this. And this word is repent is beautiful. Because how many of y'all are are believers? You know you're a believer. How many of y'all sin today? Yeah. That means I, at some point today, I turned and I've been walking the wrong way. And what maturity is, is shortening the time from conviction to actually turning and saying, all right, man, I'm I'm sorry, God, I'm coming back to you. And as often as I come back to him, he receives me and he accepts me. Now, does that mean that I escape the consequences of my sin? No, you can't. Old country preacher told me one time he said, you can't sow wild oats and pray for crop failure. (laughs) Get that? You can't sow wild oats and pray for crop, failure. You can't do the wrong thing and and say, oh, God, I'm sorry. Don't let the consequences happen because that's not repentance. Human repentance is where, oh, I'm sorry for the consequences. Okay, God, please get me out of debt. Please get me out of this situation. Oh, God, please heal me. God, please fix this. And you're sorry for the consequences. True repentance is where you're sorry because that sin is offensive to God. It's where you love God and it's like, God, I am so sorry that I just did that again. The one who loves me more than anybody. God, please, I'm coming closer to you. I'm coming closer to you because I don't want to do that anymore. The closer I come to you, the more I'll be focused on you and the less I'll be doing that. So you see this word repentance It's not a nasty word, not a dirty word. It's a beautiful invitation from a loving God that says anytime you find yourself heading in the wrong direction. Now, if you're heading in the wrong direction, you don't believe it's the wrong direction. Is it the wrong direction? Yes. Yeah, it's still the wrong direction. But are you going to repent if you don't believe it's the wrong direction? No. And you know what, if you're there, you can't do anything until the Holy Spirit of God convicts you and says this is the wrong direction. And yes, sometimes there's consequences that hurt. And you say, dude, I keep running into this wall. It must be the wrong direction. (laughs) And you have to turn and say there must be another way. And that's when we come to Christ. But you see what a beautiful picture that repentance is. I want you to think about it. Every time the Holy Spirit of God tells you to repent, tells you to turn, turn away from what's causing you to walk farther from him and turn towards him. And I just want you, as you turn, I don't want you to see that. I went to Catholic school growing up and man, we had nuns with rulers. Anybody had that? I don't want you to see the nun with a ruler and then they got rid of the nuns and then we had a principal. And dude, this one dude, man, he had a paddle. How many of y'all went to school when you got corporal punishment and they paddled, right? They had a paddle this long with holes in it. And guess who got paddled in second grade for, draw, for breaking Morris Swisher's crayon and drawing all over her with it because she drew on my page? Me! <laughs> I don't want you to turn around and see the principal with a paddle, see the nun with a ruler. Oh, they found out that didn't work on me. I just got to share this. They found out in fifth grade in Catholic school, Wendell Warrington. That was my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Warrington. They ran out of ways to discipline me and try to make a behavioral change. And he invented this just for me. And in fifth grade, I had to write it over three thousand times, not in one sitting. And because, you know, everybody remember the I I I I will will will, will. not 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 talk. that I had that down, man. It didn't affect me anymore. I was immune to that. He wrote this. It behooves me to pay attention during class because of my being rude and obnoxious. My fellow students and I are unable to concentrate to the fullest extent of our abilities. He wrote that specifically for me. And if you want to borrow that, you want to use that, go ahead. It behooves me to pay attention during class because by being rude and obnoxious, my fellow students and I are unable to concentrate to the fullest extent of our ability. Guess what I did during class? But man, I don't want you to see. I would like be doing stuff, hoping Wendell wasn't looking, Mr. Warrington, hoping I didn't get caught. And I was also what was called an instigator. You know what that is? That's people that gets other people to do stuff and let them get caught so you can keep doing it. And man, I got you want to talk about somebody who's been able to turn on the path and see all kinds of disciplinarians. Seeing the cop pull me over in Isla Morada for a DUI before I was a believer. You know, I could go on and on and on and show all kinds of things where I could turn around and look at that word repent as some authoritarian figure squashing my creativity, <laughs> yeah. squashing my freedom that I should have. But God gave me the ability to look at repentance as coming back into the loving arms of my God. Man, you know, hey, Natalie, you, you love Abel, right? He's your kid. Man, if, 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 if he's walking over towards this pit bull that's got, that's got, and it doesn't have, I have a pit bull, but a pit bull with, with AIDS, <laughs> a pit bull with rabies, and it's just ate a bufo toad on top of that. It's foaming everywhere. And he's walking the pit bull. You know, he's walking over. Is that the right way or the wrong way? It's the wrong way, and you're like, Abel, come here. And was like, no, mommy, I want to pet the bulldog. You know, no, Abel, don't. And man, he comes and turns to you. Is it because you just are such a killjoy? You're just such a, just an uninspiring mom, and you're just a fraidy cat. You're not going to let your child experience anything that you won't let him go pet that ravaging bulldog that's foaming out its mouth and has AIDS and ate buffo toad? Is that the case? no if a, if a sinful natalie is walking with god but if a sinful mother a sinful mother you're sinful right yeah because we're human but a sinful mom who loves her child wants the best that's why she would call him down another path would do that imagine what a perfectly loving god would do so when he calls you down the path to say get away from there come down this direction go here go there man is he just trying to kill our joy Is he just trying to show us who's boss? No, he's like, don't go there because it's gonna hurt. (laughs) And I'm gonna visit you in the hospital. Yes, I'll be there with you, but it's gonna hurt and we don't have to experience this. We really don't have to do this. You don't have to keep going down the path. You're going is what repentance means. It's your choice. And if you're a believer, check it out. First Corinthians ten thirteen says this. There's no temptation taking you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able But with the temptation, make a way to escape. You know what that means? That what that means is that God's not going to give you anything in your life that's going to that's going to pull you so far down that path that you cannot turn back to him. But you've got to turn. He's going to give you the ability and power to turn, but it's your choice. He says God is faithful, and if God allowed other people to turn, he's going to allow you to turn. And as you turn, he says he's going to make a way for you to escape, but you've got to do it his way, not your way. You can't just say, well, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go the long way back to you, God. God just says, no, turn the same way you would want Abel to turn immediately the closer he got to that dangerous object. So, man, repentance is not a dirty word. There's a wonderful, loving God right there with open arms saying you don't have to keep living this way. You don't have to keep doing it. First Corinthians 10, 13 says the devil can't make you do it. Turn, turn. You can turn back into the loving arms of your father. So Peter said to him, it's simple, guys, repent. Yeah, you missed your Messiah because you were so prideful thinking your religious way was right. Yeah, you killed him, but you fell right into God's plans, but you're still held accountable. And yes, there is going to be destruction for you. Yes, he is going to squash his enemies one day. And by the way, I'll approach this again in here because, you know, we have this thing right now that says, Oh, God loves you. Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son. To die on a cross to pay for your sins so that if you believe in him, you put your faith and trust in him, you will never perish and you'll have everlasting life. But if you're not a believer, do you know when that love ends? When does that love end? Does he love you so much that he's going to go against his word? He's going he's to let you throw the sacrifice that he, put, uh, he, he had Christ go through on the cross. He's going to throw it out and say, oh, I was just joking. You don't need that. No, the love ends when you die without Christ. You now are set for wrath. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he made a way for you to turn and head towards him. But if you reject that at death, that wrath, that love becomes wrath. He's not going to excuse your sin when he paid the highest price to pay for your sin. So at some point, man, you got to turn. If he's given you the desire and ability to turn, man, turn. It's like the wind, he says in John chapter three, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he said, you don't know when it's coming. You don't know when it's leaving, but you know when it's there. Turn. Because if you lose the desire to turn, you're not going to turn. But God's not guaranteed he's going to give you that desire to turn for your whole life. And if you without that desire, you're not going to do it. So Peter said, they're like, what do we do? Man, we're fixing to suffer the wrath of the Messiah. We killed him. And we're his enemy. And Peter said, repent. He said to turn. Repent means what? Turn. Turn. It's simple as that. Into the loving arms of a loving Savior. And look what he says now. He says, don't just turn. But he said, I want you to make this public. He says, and every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's not for the remission of sins. That's a, a... Kind of an unfortunate translation, that Greek word for the remission of sins. Some people have taken it and said that in order to have your sins forgiven, you have to be baptized, which is not taught anywhere else in the word of God. And one of the principles of hermeneutics, thats study in the Bible, a big word for that, is that you've got to take what the whole Bible says about something to know what it is. So you can't just take one verse and say, oh, you have to be baptized to be saved. No, that's not the case. Peter talks many more times. In fact, we're going to learn in the book of Acts there were people who were baptized that weren't saved. And we're going to learn a lot more about it. But here is what he says, because your sins have been forgiven, because you were down this path willfully plowing towards it. And God gave you the desire and ability to turn. He said, man, he said, now that you're turning and head towards him, make that public so other people can see the miracle that he's done. How many of you consider yourself somebody that, man, if God can save you, he can save anybody, (laughs) anybody there? Yeah. I already gave you just a little glimpse of my childhood. That's childhood. I didn't get saved until I was 26. You do not want to hear from the 26, 20, 20 to 26 years. You don't want to hear about that time frame. You do. We'll sit down one day. But, man, some of that I can't even share in here. I'm just saying. Thank you, the reason we get baptized, the reason we make this public, we make this turn public, is one that we're excited and we're proud that we're now part of this family. But now other people can say, wow, dude. I still got people that I went to high school waiting for me to get over this fad. They're still waiting. There's people in my family still waiting to see how long this fad's going to last. It's like, dude, it's been since 1988. It's like it's going for eternity because I turned, because he changed my heart. And that's what he wants to do in each of us. He wants to change it and he wants us to make it public. That's what baptism is. Uh, Kelly and Dylan, where's Dylan at? Oh, okay, okay. I thought he was still fixing his hair or whatever. I got my. You guys know what these are, right? Yeah. These are baptism clothes, right? Yeah. And uh, and so after the service, I get to baptize Kelly and Dylan because at some other time they had made a profession of faith. They turned from their ways to follow God's ways, and 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 they want to make that public. And so today, even in this freezing cold Florida weather, you know, this freezing cold weather. Man, I should have brought up a wetsuit. But, man, they're going to get baptized. And we've talked about baptism. Does baptism save you? No. No. Baptism is a symbol. What does this ring mean? It means I'm married. Means I'm married. If I take it off, am I still married? Yes. yes. If I put it on this stool, does it make this stool married to my wife? No. It's a symbol. And... Uh, it's a symbol of, of marriage, and baptism is a symbol of what Christ has done for us. You stand in the water, it looks like a what? Cross. A cross. When I take you down, Kelly and Dylan, I take you down, that tells everybody that you believe that Jesus was, was crucified and buried. And when I bring you back up again, you do want to come back up? Yes. That symbolizes that you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's a good thing, because you're not a fish. <laughs> so, But it also represents... It represents you dying to your old life, saying, I don't, you know what? I'm not living for me anymore. I've given my life to Christ. And when I bring you back up, you're saying, I'm going to live for Christ, but I know I can't do it in my power. I got to do it in God's power. And that's a public proclamation. So the very first thing, as you're on the wrong path, whether you're saved or not, he says, turn. And you don't have to keep doing it. Turn and come to him. And he never gets tired of you turning. And he says, as you turn that first time for salvation, I want you to make a public proclamation. Now, this means a whole lot more to them than it did to us, because these are the guys who crucified Christ. These are the guys who for centuries have been Jews saying, you know, this is what the Messiah is going to be like. This is who he's going to be. This is what's going on. And they said, and he is not it. How many of you ever had to eat crow and admit you were wrong? You know what that's like, right? oh man it's so hard especially when you were so adamant about it i been very 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 adamant about something yes. and then you found out you were wrong eyes are wrong you know what i'm saying yeah uh, uh, uh. and these guys now were headed down the wrong path they thought it was the right path and they turned they turned because they didn't care they didn't want the wrath of god on them they wanted the love of god and they knew it was that direction But what is everyone going to say? Oh my goodness, what are the, man, I was there crucify him, crucify him. I was there making jokes. If you're really the son of God, come down off the cross. I was there. Man, aren't you glad we didn't follow that Jesus guy? Man, aren't you glad we were on the right? Man, and they found out they were wrong. And so when they now got baptized and made a public proclamation, man, they weren't just losing face, losing pride, man. They were going to lose family. Much the way it is in, some, in, in a lot of countries now in the world, when people get baptized, they lose family. They lose jobs. They lose any way to support themselves economically. You get baptized, Kelly, man, we're all going to be like, woohoo! yeah, that's awesome. Dude, they were basically making a public commitment that, you know what, we were wrong. And Christ is the Messiah, and we are, with everything we got, even if it's going to cause persecution and we die, we're going this way. There was no secret Christianity. People talk so often, well, man, it's just between me and God. It's our little thing. That is not taught in the Bible anywhere. It's not taught that way. He, the greatest miracle we keep seeing over and over and over again is people being born again. Something that's dead becoming spiritually alive. And baptism is an opportunity to see that. It lets us know it's still happening. And it's still going on. So he said, man, Peter said, this is easy. Just repent turn, and start heading that way. And he says, and by the way, to prove that you really are headed that way, go ahead and get baptized. And so someone probably sat back down. I got I to tell you something. A story that was really, really kind of cool. Um, Emily and Elena, they were at this thing. What was that thing called? Fields of Faith. It was when Tuesday? Wednesday night? Wednesday night. And it was put on by Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It was cool. It was at Longwood Stadium. And both of them got to speak. You know, they had about six, I don't know, eight, uh, uh, student athletes and you guys are you guys athletes man surfing count yes <laughs> but anyways they were speaking there and they gave their testimony which was really awesome and all of this and then this guy chris regan got up and he preached man and he told the kids he said man how many of you are tired of having one foot in christ and one not depending on who you're with and all of this and he said if you're for real and this was cool at the invitation here he just said if you're for real and you're ready to once and for all turn and head the right direction he said, stand up. And there's a whole state, you know, part of a big stadium full of kids there. And the ones next to us were from Westwood. Okay. And, and none of those kids, a lot of those kids weren't even listening, but there were a couple listening. And this one big dude who was a big athlete, and he evidently had broke his arm or done something. It was in a sling. I watched him because this guy, Chris Regan, said, yeah, man, I was headed towards the pros in baseball. supposed to get drafted, all of this stuff, and I got hurt. He said, I ended up signing a contract later, but man, you know what? I found out what it really is about. It's about Christ and all this. And, and he said, So Sam, and I watched when he said, Stand up. I watched this kid with his arm in a sling. Big, tall dude. Looked like a football stud till he got hurt. Probably just this year, and he's messing up his scholarship because of this. I watched him, and he looked around. He started to, immediately, he just started to stand up, and then he looked and saw nobody around him standing. He went, Back down. And he was like, and he was looking, and I just started praying. That, I realized the reason God had me there, one of them, was to pray for him. Nice. And he's looking around going, hey, hey, you know. And it's like, who are you, man? I ain't standing up. All the kids are around him, I ain't standing up. And the dude, finally, he just couldn't handle it. I watched the conviction on his face. I watched God. I even watched a little tear, and he stood up. Like, whew. And it took everything he had to stand up. And it would have been cool if Chris Reagan would have let it stay there. But he didn't, did he? He said, Now, if you're really serious, walk down and walk down the stadium and walk across the field and meet me over here in the middle. And this kid's like, I just saw his face going, Oh, I just did. It took everything I had. It took everything I had to stand up right here because this is what I need. I know it's what I need. And he sat back down again as people were walking. And I just started praying, man. And I looked and he's trying to convince people and I'm looking at him just wrestling with himself, the way you wrestle with God when you know there's something you need to do and you're not willing to do it. And the dude, I'll just never forget. It was just like one of those little pop-up toys, you know, little suction cup pop-up toys. He's there and it was just like, boom, he stood up. Man, the dude just walked down like, I don't care. And he walked all the way down, got in the group. Again, there were more people coming, but he just walked. And I watched that. That cost him something, man. Because nobody in his in, of his friends, nobody on his team else that was there that even came had any kind of remote decision like that. But it cost him something. I don't know what it cost him the next day, but it cost him some pride that day. It cost him something. And that's what he's talking about. Man, If you, you're either in or you're out. If you turn, you turn. If you turn, man, be proud about it and go in that direction. There's no secret Christian. He says, man, because what he told everybody be baptized, that's what baptism is, is your first public proclamation that you believe in the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, that you believe that you have died your old life and you're rising to live a new life with him. That's what baptism is. So that's what he said. He said, man, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because of the remission of sins because your sins have been forgiven, which, by the way, that for the in the Greek can also mean Because of and so on. And that's how it should have probably been translated here. And he says, and then guess what? As you turn and you start walking to God, he said, you will receive the gift of what? The the gift of what? Help me out. Yeah. And, And so that's where when you come back up after baptism, it's not doing it in your own power. It's doing it in the power of the resurrection, which you receive as the Holy Spirit lives in you. But as you're walking away from the Holy Spirit going this way. How much Holy Spirit power you got? No, because he's telling you what to do. He's trying to give you direction. He's trying to give you power, trying to give you help. And you're walking the wrong way. He's still hopefully bringing conviction unless you're like me with no CMs and you've blown it off so much that you're immune to his conviction. Please don't get that way because then you're going to for sure head the wrong way. But man, when you turn and walk towards God, when you continually walk towards him, You get closer and closer, and you start experiencing more and more of the power of the Holy Spirit. You can hear him better. And he's giving you direction, he's giving you things to do that are right, like sharing the gospel. When you're busy doing the right thing, you can't be busy doing the right thing. Exactly. But boy, there's all kinds of wrong things to do going down this path. When you turn, man, I used to tell students all the time in student ministry: if you're bored, follow the Lord. (laughs) You're bored because you're doing what everybody else is doing. You start following Jesus. He'll rock your world, won't he, Natalie? Yeah. He'll have you doing things you never dreamed you were doing, but you know they're of Him, and you're watching it, and it blows you away to see it happen. But it's only as you keep turning, and as believers, I'm like, "Oh God, this isn't going to work." And then he turn, I turn again. Every day we're doing this, and we've got to just stay focused on Him to keep heading that way. But if you know you're heading the wrong way, Peter says, "Repent." He said, "Turn, turn." And you're turning into the open arms of a loving God. He said, you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can't live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. All you can do is redefine the Christian life. And it's really carnal. You got to have the Holy Spirit to do what God's asking you to do. And so he says, you're going to receive that. You receive direction, protection, power, all the things you have. The paraclete, him walking alongside of you. And look what he also says. He says, you then can create a heritage How many of you went through all the trouble having your kids and would love to see them go to hell? Anybody want to see your kids go to hell? No, you're laughing. It's like, what stupid question? No. Look what he says in verse 39. For the promise is to you and to your children. Man, you show them how to walk this way. You know, show them how to walk this way. Yes, you're not going to be perfect. Right, Emily? Uh-huh, I'm not perfect and you have to admit that. I know it's hard to find the flaws, but <laughs> thank you for <laughs> Are you what are you laughing so hard for? <laughs> yeah. But you have to keep turning to show them the way. And show them the way. Now, does that mean you can save your kids? No. But does it mean you can be a good example? You can show them the power of God. You can teach them. Yeah, they have to make their own. There's no there's no spiritual grandkids. You know, you make the decision on your own. But he says, for the promise is not just for you, but it's to your children and all who are afar off, generation after generation. As many as the Lord God will call. Again, you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. But God's also got to give you that desire. As you're walking the wrong way, God's got to say, turn. God's got to say turn. And some of you got, well, what if God never says turn? What about all the people in Africa? You you know what? Why you're asking that question is because you don't want to turn. (laughs) Everybody everybody is going to get a chance to turn at some point. Go read Romans chapter one. And the point is, is anybody sitting in here, God, the truth be known, God has probably said turn many times. And you have the opportunity. You've got to choose to turn and follow him. And when God's calling, because it's like the wind, you don't know when it's going to be gone ethan and look at this last part here and with many other words you think i preach a long time what time is it it's almost oh (laughs) i think it's starting to late today but we're almost done man i'm still gonna be done at 11 right you know anyways and with many other words peter this wasn't just his message but we took three weeks on this message dude and peter did it all in one setting it says with many other words he testified and exhorted them look what he said and see if this is relevant to where we're at today in society. It was relevant then, so imagine how relevant it is now. He says, be saved from this what? Perverse. perverse generation. This word perverse in the Greek is the word scolio. Anybody ever heard of scoliosis or yeah, it's crooked. That's what that word means. It means crooked, it means bent in a, in an abnormal way. And what it means in a spiritual sense is that. This generation has taken God's word and they bent his word to fit their lifestyle instead of bending their life to fit his word. Do you get that? It's like if you were to have a a brace to straighten up a back instead of making the brace straight so the back will succumb, you know, mold to that. Instead, you just make a brace to kind of accommodate that messed up back. And you might even make it even more bent, thinking that's a little bit better. But what he's talking about in a perverse generation is people taking his word and bending it, twisting it to make it fit their lifestyle instead of making their lifestyle fit his word. You know, that's what it's talking about. He said, save yourself from that. And you know what? There's going to be tons of people headed this way. Tons of people, and if you think the majority is right, most of the time, you're going to be going the wrong way. You're you're a teacher, right? Retired teacher. Man, did you not have people in your class like me that led people the wrong way, and you really just wished I'd been absent a few days so you could get those others straightened out? Because there was no hope for the ones like me. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? There's leaders leading the wrong way, and there's people just following. The devil knows what fate to dangle in front of your face to get you go that way. But when you hear God say, turn, turn, and I want you to picture a loving God over here with his arms wide open. Peter says, save yourself from this perverted generation by turning, by repenting and continuing to repent. Turn every time you find yourself going the wrong way. Turn and turn and keep headed towards God with his open, loving arms. And look what happened to these folks. You know, I know the Holy Spirit was speaking to them, how they weren't immune to the noceum bites anymore. You know, I knew it because look at verse 41. It says, then those who gladly received his word. It wasn't like, all right, I'm sick of the consequence. I'm going to turn. Would you get off my back? I'm turning. You know, it wasn't a, a begrudging thing. It was like, man, this makes sense. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I want to do. Man, I never wanted to do that. I want to go this direction now. They gladly received his word. And what happened? They were then baptized and didn't care what the consequences of all of that was. They didn't care. I lose my job. I lose it. What's the worst they can do? I got a home in heaven. What are they, they going to do? Kill me? I'll be going be with Jesus. That's awesome. It <laughs> says they gladly received his word and they were baptized. And that day, look at this, man. This is the beginning of the church. This is a one-time event. doesn't have to be. But I consider this a revival. This is a one-time event. It says, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Amen. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Mm-hmm. But you know what? Somebody could have made Peter feel bad for preaching the word. You know, when they, were got, they got stung by the word. Oh, nobody should feel that way. That's not good for their self-esteem. That's, that's not, Man, you know how bad you made them feel to know they're going, who are you to say they're going the wrong way? You're not the judge. And you know what? My response to that is, no, you're right. I'm not the judge. I am no more qualified to judge to you than you are to me. But God is the judge. And I'm disagreeing with whatever God said. <laughs> and if God said this is the wrong direction, then that's the wrong direction and this is the right one. And Peter preached the word. In season asking, he preached it whether it was favorable or not. And the Holy Spirit took it. And the Holy Spirit worked in people's lives. And 3,000 people turned that day and headed the right direction. And if they didn't turn, we probably wouldn't be where we're at right now. Because we're part of that heritage of that first generation turning. So you know what? Um, when, you're, you're, when your heart is cut... And you need to know what to do. You need to turn to the path. You need to say, God, I'm turning to the path that leads me to you. My heart's cut, God, and I don't know, and, and, and I don't know what to do. And He says, Turn to the path that leads you to me. That doesn't rhyme, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You got to turn, go down that path. That's where we're at. Let's bow for prayer, please. Father, I don't know where we're at today, where anyone's at in this. I know where I am, and that's it. And I know, Father, that I made one big decision in, in 1988, and that was to surrender my life to you, to give my life to you. And um, I know you took it over. And that solves a lot of little decisions. When I have a lot of little decisions, I see where that fits on that path that I, that I have towards you. But, Father, there are plenty of times where even as a believer, as a pastor, as one that's helping others see life from your perspective, that I choose by my pride, I choose by my feelings, I choose by my emotions, I choose to head the wrong direction. And I pray, Father, for me and every other believer in here that when we choose that, that, that we would choose that less and less, that we would fall so in love with you that we don't ever wanna take our eyes off of you. So we never turn our backs to you, we're always looking at you, heading in the direction where we see you, where we hear you, where we experience you. And Father, we just want to thank you for giving us a home in heaven. But while we're here, Father, I pray that you would motivate us, you would encourage us even more than you do to keep heading down that right direction. If any of us need to turn, Father, um, just show us how futile it is to wait. There's no benefit in waiting We just get farther away from you the longer we walk away from you. So, Father, as believers, I pray you would give us the desire and ability to just turn. But as we turn, Father, I pray what we would see is a loving God with open arms, wanting to receive us, wanting to empower us, wanting to comfort us, cheering us on as we walk towards you. Because that's the only way we can show you we love you. But, Father, today, if there's somebody here who's never given their life to Christ, and, Father, uh, they are, according to the word, heading down the wrong path because, Jesus, you even said that you are the way, the truth, and the light. Nobody can come to you except, no one can come to the Father except they go through you. There's only one path, Father, according to your word. And I pray that if there's somebody here that's never turned, that today they would have a desire they can't refuse to turn from going the wrong way that you have said is the wrong way. And they would turn towards you and maybe even for the first time in their life, they would see you as a God with open arms welcoming them instead of some authoritarian figure just trying to rule their life. Pray that they would see you as a God that knows everything can do anything and is everywhere and that loves them and only wants the best for them and you're way more qualified to determine that than we are and i pray father that you'd give them a desire they can't refuse to turn the turn is simple it just says in the word that if we will call upon you the name of the lord if we will just pray and ask you to be our boss you will do that but help us father to turn And I just pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.